Welcome to Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. This is a journey by a journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new value, and a new experience. <laughs> Broadcasting from the Insomniac HQ, this is Wide Awake Stories. What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Wide Awake Stories. We're officially in the double digits. This is our post-EDC episode. I want to say what's up to the team. I am Rich. We got Rob over here on my left. Hello, hello. John, how you doing, man? Hey, hey. Got Samuel. Hi, friends. And as always, we have the lovely Monica. Thank you. Hello. 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 How you doing, Monica? I'm good. How are y'all? We're good. I think everyone has recovered from EDC. Do you ever fully recover from EDC, though? Never. No, you? not really. No, never. Physically. Mentally, no. No, not even. <laughs> Close. Speaking of EDC, we have a, a very special guest uh, in the studio, a uh, member of our illustrious talent department, Mr. Chase Fiedler. How are you? Good, good. How are you guys? I'm uh, happy to be here. Fantastic. We all know Chase from The Office. Many of you know Chase from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think as long as we're talking about EDC, let's talk about one of the biggest stories, that Drake appearance at the Bass Pod. I mean, I think the Bass Pod is now on an international level. Absolutely. That was a pretty crazy moment for the festival, uh, you know, as it was happening. I don't think anybody realized what was going on. We all thought it was a joke. And you know, at first, you know, I don't think any of us thought it was actually going to happen when we got the initial reach out, you know, the, the day you know, on Saturday night, basically. Well, how did, yeah, how did that come about? Because I don't think anyone really knows. I mean, many people maybe think, oh, that was planned from the beginning, but it sounds like it was just an off the cuff thing. Absolutely off the cuff. Um, and I got to give props to... Uh, Tony Marino, who books the bass pod and, and books Bass Rush and kind of oversees all of Bass Rush. He's the one who booked Metro Boomin, the DJ that uh, brought out Drake as a special guest. Um, so basically what happened was Saturday night, uh, I, I happened to be sitting in the, the artist relations trailer and an email came in saying, hey, you know, Metro Boomin's people, you know, we're thinking about flying out Drake to the show tomorrow. And I, I happened to be sitting there as that email came in um, and I was like, no way. This is this is absolutely, you know, not happening. There, there's no way that Drake is coming to EDC. When you think of all the crazy things that could happen at EDC, I think that's pretty far down the list of, of possible, you know, guest appearances. Right. After that is the Pope and Jesus. <laughs> as soon as that email came in, I was like, okay, um, I guess let's make this happen. I've never seen a stage more on lockdown ever. I mean, is that true? Is my perception true? That stage was locked down. I tried to get backstage. It did not happen for me. <laughs> it took the cooperation of every single department from our security contractors to our helicopter contractor to, you know, our COO and all the way up to Pasquale himself to to make some special approvals happen to, to get Drake's team okay with, you know, security and everything else to get them on site. Um, and that all happened in, this, in the span of basically 12 hours. You know, this was That's not crazy. like a, a planned in advance sort of thing. This was like, hey, Drake's going to show up. You guys, can you make it happen? And we just kind of yes, had to scramble, scramble to make it happen. <laughs> I was bummed. I, I missed it. I was stuck in the media center, but I was watching videos afterwards. And exactly what Chase is talking about, seeing fans like their videos, like they were holding it up. And the moment they realized, wait, 
is that Drake on there? And they look at each other, and they start screaming, and then get all real crazy. It was pretty awesome to see. Seeing yeah. people's faces on their front row was crazy. It's like the whole headbanging row turned into just like turned into like the cell phone row. It was it was pretty. Right. The, the whole the whole audience did. I mean, I I've never seen a crowd of people rush forward as one as a stampede and just get smashed towards the front of the stage as what happened when people actually put two and two together that that was that was drake out there on the base pod he brought it too man he didn't mail it in either so for all those who weren't there or didn't see it or been living under a rock with no internet for the last three weeks uh he came out did kind of like a little bit of a medley uh did jump man did fake friends and galchester yep uh, it was a. Uh, it was a. I pretty, don't even know if I said that right. I hope I did. Pretty. High, I don't know. Drake I'm fans, a- don't murder me. <laughs> even up until the the moment he landed on the helicopter pad, I thought, you know, this is going to get canceled. He's not going to show up. Something's going to happen. He's going to see the stage and he's going to be like, "What am I doing here?" And there was there was a little bit of that, you know. Uh, I took the managers out on a golf cart to check out the stage, you know, prior to Drake ever being there, and I was like, "Yo, dude, have have you guys, you know, how crazy is this on a scale from one to ten? Like, have you?" guys done stuff like this and they're like we've done some pretty crazy stuff but in terms of flying drake out to vegas and then taking a helicopter outside of vegas to get to some place at a nascar speedway to perform on a robot stage is definitely one of the more out there things we've ever done (laughs) um and we were kind of just sat on the golf cart and looked at the base pod and I forget who was playing, you know, a couple hours prior to Metro Boomin, but it was, you know, it was some pretty heavy, heavy dubstep, you know, as, as the bass pod does. And me and the manager were sitting in the golf cart watching this and we're like, Drake is really about to perform on, on this stage in a couple hours? I and mean, they're, they're headbanging dubstep right now. So as someone who frequents the artist area a lot, knows kind of who's coming in and coming out, hoping you could kind of dispel a few EDC rumors for us. Did the Golden State Warriors ever show up? Okay, so originally they were going to show up. Uh, they unfortunately did not, but they were in Vegas that weekend. And I did see them, uh, you know, at several club shows that weekend, but I don't believe they ever got on site to EDC. Gotcha. Paris Hilton, she did show up though. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I was chilling with her at the the rap party that occurred on Monday morning. She was out there <laughs> grooving, dancing at about 7, 8 a.m. at the I rap party. I must have party. been at a different rap party. <laughs> no, she was there. It was she great. was there? Oh, yeah, she was vibing out. It was awesome. Nice. Uh, Drew Carey, did he roll in again? or was... I didn't see Drew this didn't time around. Man, didn't see Drew. Man, the cycle. g was there. Uh, yeah, I heard of Jeezy was there. Jeezy came out with Jaws on Friday night. Um, Miguel? This has really been the EDC of special guests. Uh, we've had some pretty incre- incredible uh, special guests this year. Um, you know, a lot of eyes on the festival and a lot of cool things popping up. I heard Migos were, uh, were around too. The Migos. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if Migos... Definitely Ray Shremard came out with Afrojack on Kinetic Field, and that was another pretty cool moment. We had um, Little John. Little John came out with Flostradamus. Another pretty special thing. You know, we glossed over Miguel with R.L. Grime, but that was a pretty incredible moment for his new hit single. We also had a pretty uh, awesome surprise appearance on the Calliope Art Car, too. That was on Sunday, right, with Cascade? Yeah, the last day, day three. Um, you know, the, the art cars, you know, s- since we've been in Vegas and doing EDC, the art cars, you know, have developed from putting, you know, friends of Insomniac and, and local DJs on the art cars to having some pretty incredible special performances on the art cars. And this year, you know, Cascade has always done something special at the festival, um, whether it's been performing at an art installation or doing an art car set. But this year, when he wasn't on the official lineup, that 
obviously caused you know quite a stir and you know a lot of people you know feel that Cascade is a you know really prominent person that needs to be on the DC lineup and I don't think that you know Pasquale or any of us were willing to let the crowd down and and Cascade wasn't either so he came in and, and did Calliope and did the sunrise set uh, you know on, on day three of the festival unlike Drake this was planned out you know very far in advance logistically to make sure it was all good but yeah that was a pretty incredible performance and he played for two hours and did this did the sunrise and, and held it down with a massive crowd out there i hear next year he's going to be djing one of the shuttles <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah exactly exactly <laughs> shuttles uh potentially the, the, the vip the vip bathrooms <laughs> yeah. um, the air-conditioned bathrooms in there are really really nice so you never know. Anything can happen at EDC. Yeah, after this year, anything can <laughs> anything. absolutely happen. Dylan Francis is another artist who had never played a main stage at EDC before. And he's someone that I linked up with on Saturday morning. We got together and had a really great conversation about artists who use social media. Some artists really use it to elevate their careers. Some artists don't even use it at all and, and just have massive presences online. But that was a that was a pretty fun combo too. So check it out. Wide awake stories. Artist relations. I'm Dylan Francis, and uh, I'm a main stage artist at EDC this year. People, it's funny because people ask, they're like, which one is the main stage? And I'm like, they're all, they're all very, main very main. That's true. <laughs> the circuit ground, I think circuit ground's the, the second biggest the circuit stage, Circuit right? ground is kind of creeping. There's definitely artists who are like, I want to play circuit grounds. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the, the, the LED screens at that are, are really incredible, so... Um, I understand, but I'd, I'd never played uh, main stage, so that's why I decided to do main stage. I said, how many shows of, uh, how many EDCs is this for you now? I think it's my third one or fourth one. I think it's my fourth one. I never, you never went snuck, as, a, snuck as a patron. In, in, no, in 2002 I, was, at the... I, I was more of the, I don't know if I can say this, but I was more of the Coachella child. Yes. Oh, like, that's totally fine. That's okay, acceptable. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I did sneak into that festival. Um, Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Successfully. Successfully. Awesome. And then good, I blacked out. <laughs> I, I got so happy and excited that I snuck in and I was like, let's go to the beer gardens. All right. Boom. Blacked out. Don't remember any of the artists that I, I wanted to see. Um, I do remember that cut copy. We were watching them and he put the mic in front of my face and I just was like, <laughs> didn't know what the song was at all. And, uh, and then the main reason I had gone there was to see the Black Lips, and I fell asleep in the parking lot. No joke. Did you have friends that went with you? Yeah. Where, were, they, where were these friends, oh, as I make well, air quotes? The, the story's really good. It's one of my favorite stories that I've ever had happen to me in my entire life. So I had a VIP wristband, and they gave me money to go and get them VIP wristbands. They wanted me to go into the VIP and buy it off of some person. So... Um, I went into the VIP and I used their money to buy more drinks for myself. I was Savage. I was on another level. Wow. And the best is that they've like I think two hours later I'm like walking around in the regular part of the festival and they find me and like, dude, where's where have you been? Where's our wristbands? And they said I looked at them with like such sadness. And I was like, oh no, I used your money to buy alcohol. Well, you, you copped up to it, though. That's good. Yeah, I was really sad. I would have been like, I was mugged by a Kardashian. <laughs> I don't know how. Well, at least at least it was in the kind of the days of pre-live stream. So, yes. like, Cut Copy wasn't getting live streamed no. and you weren't broadcast. Like, Thank God, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> we were talking before about 
the idea of social media pers- bless you, personas on social media and how a lot of DJs these days, way more so than back in the day, even when social media was around, sort of have to assume a, a role or an identity that um, enhances their sort of you know craft. Yeah. Um, whether it's a helmet or, or some sort of shtick or... <laughs> Yep. And any headgear. We'll call it head headgear. We'll, we'll call <laughs> no, it any, like we'll call it anything. Um, yeah. but but you created this uh, a similar you've had a similar effect on your audience without really having to do any of that kind of stuff yeah. because you're you're legitimately more a straight up comedian as well. Like you could have a career in that just as easily as you could have a career in this whether it's YouTube Maybe. yeah. I you know, I just I grew up making you know i was like class clown um of course got nominated in every yearbook for that would get kicked out of class all the time just because i would have too many outbursts of jokes um but it's just i don't know it's i always love making people laugh uh, because i get the same amount of joy from like making happy music as i do with like they both go together for me um and i get the same amount of satisfaction from both of them um so i've always just done it just because it's been second nature to me to to make weird videos and um and just jokes all the time it kind of started when i was in high school i was doing this new genres class and uh in new genres i was I, i was a visual arts major in my in my high school and uh and um, this one class, we could do whatever we wanted. That's new genres. You can make videos. You can make weird mixed media art. Blah 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 blah. So me and my friend Will, we started making fun of like the hills and all those weird like Laguna Beach. So we'd play every single character on it. And um, the whole stick that we would do is that the the girls would just keep eating hot pockets whole and throwing them up. But anyways, we would we like started doing that, and then. It, I stopped doing video stuff for a bit and then when Vine and Instagram implemented the the video stuff that's where the, that created creativity started coming from again so I never really did it because I thought like oh man I need to be a social influencer and you know to do this to like make my career better it always just was like another it's just me outlet. yeah it was just me just sitting there in my house being like I'm bored let's record a video as you know a deep German deep house guy or you know let's record a video of me as an emo kid named Preston it's always just been me sitting there and just being like oh that that'd be funny let's do it well it's amazing too that you you managed to make the time to do that too because but like, it's, that I, requires free time <laughs> but I don't I, I it's funny people people say like you know like whenever I would do the snap stories I'm literally just doing it off the cusp like yeah. even with with Kyle who who's from phantoms that we we've done a bunch of videos where we've come to Vegas every single time we've ever come to Vegas and done a snap story it was always like we just had one idea and ran with it and then kind of I think we only would shoot two two times if mm-hmm. if if that but most of it's just like you shoot it once and that's it and it kind of just go for it do you think that, that whole influencer culture though has created a, a, a situation with new DJs where even if that's not a road that they would go down, they feel like assuming some sort of uh, alter ego or a persona is kind of par for the course now. Do you think that that's true? Yeah, no, I, I do. I do think that that um, it, there are like rules of Instagram or, or something like that where it's like, you know, there's like a lot of those influencers where I feel like their videos are, are there's like a cookie cutter formula to it it's like be a hot girl have a dude with his shirt off 
make a weird relatable joke and then put a really famous song on it. And it's like the recipe for have, get, gaining a lot of followers because I see a lot of people doing that and um, I feel like it's kind of structured the way people use Instagram now because it used to be where you take a picture of something and post it and that's it was just everyday life and now it's like I don't know. It's turned into something that I don't think Instagram even knew it was going to be. Well, what's cool, I think, with what you were talking about beforehand is you have this sort of inherent character trait within you. And it just happens to, you know, work with certain outputs, you know, yeah. outlets of social media. I think sometimes the, the reverse of that, which when it comes across as manufactured, is where people feel like they need to all of a sudden create something that fits that social media format. Yeah. Like, oh, Instagram has now got 60 second videos. Now I'm going to be the 60 second guy <laughs> as opposed to being the seven second guy. You yeah. Know what I mean? So a lot of different you always want to be second, the 60 second guy. Yeah, you guy. never want to be the seven second no. guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kind of a good rule of thumb in general. Um... I'm definitely much more of a long. Miss Elliott made a song about that one minute man, right? Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't want no one minute man. No. Thanks a lot, Instagram. <laughs> Maybe uh, put the videos to two. No, but I, I understand what you're saying, and it, it it is. I I do see it um, sometimes where it, you know, I think just people should do what comes naturally to them, whether it's just posting videos of you making music or whatever whatever you feel comfortable doing. Because I, I, one thing the internet can tell always is if you're if you're lying and if you're not being true to yourself, cause they can, everyone can see it no matter what. It's weird too, because on the flip side of that, you have people like Daft Punk who are kind of the original yeah. persona creators. Um, you have DJs that have a social media presence, but never ever post. So what's weird is we, we live in this climate where over posting and under posting both somehow managed to create the same level of intrigue. Yeah. What do you think about situations where there's really no sort of persona yet the music seems to still speak for itself and I mean that's that's the best you can you can go for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I feel like Porter Robinson does that really well where he underposts and um and his music is really like I feel like it just keeps rising. Um so uh, there's some sometimes it's like I, I actually wish that I didn't do a lot of the, the character stuff because then I feel like I have to do it mm -hmm. to like just because I've been doing it for so long so sometimes I wish I, I could do the Porter Robinson thing where it's just like I right, post you know every every month one thing yeah, I mean yeah. I can but you know <laughs> there's no going back now there's no going you, you back you can't return <laughs> I gotta do it I gotta do it the way I've been doing it <laughs> um, let's talk about music for a second um, production wise uh, I, I can't think of a time where uh, the styles have been more diverse. So just walking around EDC, hearing so many different styles come from so many different you know stages. Obviously, dubstep, trap, yeah. huge halftime stuff is just bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. But when you kind of walk around a festival like EDC or you see all the artists that are playing, what headspace does that put you in when you go back into the studio and create stuff? Does it make does it make you kind of want to? Uh, absorb a lot of what you're seeing or does it make you want to go in a completely different direction um it depends i mean if if it's something that's unique and interesting then i'll be like oh my god i want to make something like that um because that's usually how inspiration goes for me originally when i started making mumatone 
that's I, I, I had never known about it um, and this guy Munchie had made it and he hit me up on SoundCloud and be like hey man I made a remix of this song like we both did one check check out my stuff and I checked out all of his music and he had the Moombatone tag on it and I was like what the hell is this music it's so cool is I don't this even, something spelled backwards yeah. that I'm not getting <laughs> and and I was like I didn't even know I didn't know what tempo it was which I'm pretty good at, at knowing tempos so the fact that I enjoyed it and didn't know the tempo. I was like, I definitely want to make this. So I figured out what tempo it was and kind of went from there. But it's like, just just listening to, to music is is always the best way to get inspiration. So it's fun to, to see, hopefully see people innovating and playing different music on, on whatever stage they're on and trying to, to push different sounds. What's your favorite thing about dance music culture? I, I remember I used to go to Cinespace when Steve was first doing those shows and um, when DJ AM was still alive when he was doing Banana Split. The the sense of it, you know, being an underground music genre and, and having a, that amount of people that were really interested in the music, like it was just so much fun to go to the clubs there drink with your friends and listen to all the music that you really love and have like a place where you can just kind of do whatever you want to do um and just go crazy because i'd always been into to to punk music and, and metal stuff so when i got into dance music that's kind of like i, I uh, rusco was one of my favorite artists at the time and i felt like that music was i felt like it was making the punk music that I used to listen to and put in an electronic form. So that's why I really got into it so much. And, and that's what I, I, I love about it is like, cause there's the camaraderie in that as well. When you go to punk shows and like you're, you know, you're pitting with your friends and there's like pit etiquette where if, you know, if you fall down, someone helps you back up. And I feel like that kind of is the same in dance music. And I just love that, that it's grown. I, I never thought it was going to get to this level. You know, my goal in life was to go and play Cine space legit that was my my goal at the time was like all right i need to make music because i'm not i'm not gonna be able to play here as just a dj i need to make music so i can play here and i never thought that there'd be like festivals like coachella and like edc and bonnaroo and all those that are, that are just like having djs play and like i don't if dj am was still alive i think he'd probably say the same thing where he's like i didn't think that it was going to be like this wide awake stories from Insomniac. I want to party with Dylan so hard. That yeah, like I, I so don't want to party fun. with him at Coachella, though, because he might <laughs> he might take my beer money and, and run. Take your VIP ticket money and, VIP and run to the beer tent is what he might do. <laughs> he was a really chill dude to, to chat with, and it's true. Like With him, the social media thing, the video thing, that's just an extension of his personality. And... It's hard. I mean, there's so many DJs now, more than ever, who have this kind of persona. Some might say it's even a shtick, and they rely on that to be their primary marketing method. I could totally see Dylan being the class clown, too. And that was one of the things that stood out to me the most is I always thought he was funny and he's got great sticks, but hearing him say that he gets equal amount of satisfaction out of making people laugh as he does with making happy music. Yeah, happy music really isn't in vogue. You're either bangers, you're you're doing the stuff that's emotional, super emo, but happy music is not a big market for happy music unless you're <laughs> Pharrell. <laughs> then there's a huge market for it. That was good. <laughs> and you won't want to miss Dylan Francis at Nocturnal Wonderland, which returns to SoCal this September. Speaking of social media, you can find us, the Wide Awake team, on Facebook at insomniac.com. Use the hashtag Wide Awake Stories on Twitter as well 
at insomniac.com, also using the hashtag Wide Awake Stories. And I think this is as good a time as any to shout out our own personal social media handles in case you guys want to check us out and follow us. You can find me on Twitter at 405South. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at John A. Ochoa. You can catch me on Instagram at Rob Simas. S-I-M-A-S. Where can the people find the Oracle? Sam, are you are you keeping it low pro on Spotify? You want to shout out to Spotify? Tinder, what's your what's your <laughs> I'm on it all. Uh, my handle is Sam Loves You. Spelled like my last name, Y-U. Very cheesy, but <laughs> how about you, I Monica? Where can we where can we find what Monica's up to? Oh my god. If you want to follow me on Spotify, you'll see that I would listen to a really weird mix of like indie electronic and show tunes. <laughs> yes. Um, I wouldn't have thought anything else, to be honest with you. Just Monica how? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when I look at it, it just says my name. I don't know if there's anything more to it than that. I don't usually have to find myself, you know? <laughs> Spotify. I spend too much time trying to find myself, actually, I think. <laughs> two of the most awesome people I met at EDC were Pat and Jim. They were two security guards that were hanging out in the media center on the third floor and the first floor. And they were the first people that you'd see coming back from roaming around the grounds and everything. And they definitely made the whole experience of going back to do work more enjoyable. They just kind of brightened up your mood whenever you saw them. I mean, you just couldn't help but smile at the energy they had. Yeah, the media center, for everyone who doesn't know, is kind of the main HQ where um, a lot of the staff work out of, you know, kind of a home base for a lot of us. We come back to, we'll, we'll file our stories, uh, take a little breather, have some coffee and tea. And uh, the two of them uh, in tandem, because they're a husband and wife duo, he's 80, she's uh, in her mid-60s, I think. 67. 67. And they were, man, they were bringing that energy all night long. They were like headliners themselves. They were interviewed by Ross Gardner, who's one of our uh, contributors here at Insomniac.com, a friend of Insomniac, a, a longtime dance music journalist with a thick Scottish brogue. And uh, he's also fun to listen to, uh, although I'm sure he would probably disagree. One of the few Scottish people I've ever talked to that you could actually understand. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Experience creators. So, guys, would you care to introduce yourselves for me and tell me uh, just a little bit about yourselves and how you sort of came to be here? My name is James Meehan. I'm a uh, guard with the uh, responsibility of making sure that the right people with the right identification are allowed to come into this floor. My name is Pat and I'm a supervisor and our job as a whole is to keep the event safe. That everyone has a great time and we enjoy watching them have a great time, but still keeping them safe. We've been married for 35 years. Uh, we've worked for our company for 12 years now. We've done many, many different events, and we enjoy what we do. It's fun. So I remember when you, um, when we started talking, you guys told me that you'd been to a number of these events. Can you tell me a little bit about your history with EDC? I'm this our sixth year. Yes. And every year we come here, we wind up doing a different position than we did the year before. Now a couple times we've done the same position but maybe a year in between. I think the biggest thing that we like about EDC because it's one of our better events is that we really get to see a lot of young people having a really good time and they're very very polite. It's one of our events that we don't have a lot of well rarely have a fight 
they just kind of do their own thing and get along, and I really like that. The thing about the kids today is they are nowhere near as rough as everybody portrays them to be. They are not. They're usually very accommodating. They follow the rules. There's a few that misbehave, but that's been that way forever, not just today. I think that it has helped keep us young. We're an older couple. I'm 67, Jim is 80, and it really kind of keeps us in the know what's going on. Or like if I see something, I say, oh, what is that? How, why do you do this? Or, well, you know, what's that? And they tell you, and it's kind of neat. Then I go to my regular job, and I'll say something, and my coworkers will go, how do you know that? And I go, oh, I'm hanging with young people. And over the years, a lot of our employees, and I don't know how many guards we got here. 600. 600 guards, okay. Total guards that are here doing different security jobs. We have built a reputation because we've done it for 12, so long, yeah. so long that most people know us. And it's so nice to be called by our name. Let's say I'll come in the first day and, hi, Jim, hi, Pat, how are you? They know us. We know them. Met a lot of nice young men and a lot of nice young ladies. One of the things that I really like is I usually, I'll make friends with the wildest looking one. You know, the one with the crazy hair, the silly outfits, usually a boy. And I <laughs> talk to him and if I'm at a gate or something, I'll say, hey, when you leave tomorrow morning, you come see me. And I want to know if you had a good time. Almost every time they come and give me a hug goodbye like I'm their mom. Yeah. Bye. I had a great time. <laughs> or one time I had somebody giving me trouble at a gate. That same kid that I made friends with. He comes running across the field and he goes, Hey, leave her alone. She's really nice. And they call <laughs> so me Grandpa. Fun. A lot of the kids call me Grandpa because of my age. And... Uh, I have, um, let's just say, talk to them about what things are. I like to talk to people. I enjoy talking to people. And they they respond to that. And they'll come over and say, how you doing, Grandpa? Yeah, so it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's a job that we like because we do a whole variety of things from Super Bowls to raves to concerts, Oscars, Golden I have Globes. To, I have to say on. one thing, though. My very first time here, I was a little shocked at the outfits. And I thought, wow, you don't have to do a lot of packing. All you need is Victoria Secret underwear and bras. Three pairs and you're set for the weekend. But after I did it, I called my daughter, who at the time was like 21 years old. And real casually, I says to her, hey, Meg, have you ever gone to a rave? And she goes, mom, they don't even dress at those things. How? Why would I ever go there? And I went, yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> we, but now I wouldn't care if she came because now I've been introduced into it and I see that, you know, you're never going to keep kids from everything. And and it's really nice that they experience a lot of things. We were growing up, we went through the Beatles and Elvis Presley years and everybody said that was bad. You know, back then, Elvis shake Presley shake his hips like that, you know? These kids are doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing that we went through when we were kids, just a little different. Yeah, there's a little problem with drugs once in a while, but nowhere near what everybody thinks it is. It, it, everybody says that's all it's here. That's not true. 
that is not true at all. There's a lot of kids out there that are enjoying what they call music. I don't agree with it, but they call it music. They enjoy it. They enjoy the rides. They enjoy the lights. They enjoy the things that they put out here. They really enjoy them. They have fun. And that's yeah, the whole point fun. of it. That's the whole point. It's our favorite event. Of all the things we do. If it could just be a little cooler. But other than that, it's our heat, favorite event. The heat is tough here. On the whole, it is by far our favorite fun thing. Comic-Con is a favorite of mine, too. Yeah, we like that one. You look like Stan Lee a little bit. <laughs> uh. They tell me I look a lot like... Um, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Uh-huh, I can see that. Yeah. A little crazy, too. A little crazy. Yeah. Oh, he is. I am. I, I, I'm sorry. I've never grown up. All right. I may get older, but I've never grown up, and I like to talk to people. Usually, the response I get is, Nick, is positive. I mean, I can kid like the, the boss. Was, I, don't even, I can't think of his name at the moment, but... You know, I'll, Mike, I'll go in and insult them. Like when we started tonight, I said, look, it's last night, I don't no trouble from you guys. If I find you trouble, I'm gonna throw you all out. They all laugh, you know, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's just it's so nice of you to it's ask our opinion, to care about why we're here, or why we do things. That was really—it's an honor. Yeah, it is it really is an, an honor. honor. Thank you so much. Well, look, see, the thing is, though, I, there's there's so many of us that come to these events that would love to, that, that believe that we would still enjoy it when we're older, you know. So to have to have some to have some older people at the event that are here and are, are a part of the family and are part of making it happen. Can you tell me a little bit about your history of going to festivals? for fun we've gone to burning man three times that's that's a as festival part, in the not as working as headliners yeah <laughs> and uh we've gone to uh raves with our boys oh we went to underground raves underground. before they had them you know big events yeah. we went to underground raves in san francisco with our boys we went with the boys to this underground rave at, and, a, warehouse. at a warehouse an old warehouse and it was it extremely neat. amount of pot. Right? <laughs> and I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't smoke. And my boy said, Dad, now you realize that you're going to have maybe a little bit of feeling because there's so much of it. And I said, well, that's right. <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. We're with my boys. Now, I have three what, three of us with us, yeah. I think. And we're together. And everybody come up and say, who's that guy? My dad. Your dad came to this rave? Your dad Ma?" And I, I wish and, my and, mom would yeah, would come. Yeah, and, and it, it's an honor that my boys and daughter would ask us to go. We had a blast. We had a blast. We oh, had and a we had to get, we had to follow these instructions, like where it was, like on a tree. Something was on a tree, and then you had to go here, and it was, it was sort of like a scavenger hunt. Yeah. But you wound up at the warehouse. Up, it's a warehouse. We're it was rare. fun. Fun. Don't eat the brownies. I tried yeah. that. Don't eat the brownies. I went right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> then my son goes, Mom, you weren't supposed to eat the whole thing. I said, it didn't come with instructions. I'm supposed to eat the whole brownie. And another thing, in my two boys ran a crab stand in San Francisco. All right, for uh, how many years? Eight, nine years. Well, we'd go out and visit them. All right, well, because they were... Uh, they did the show, Crack Root Crabs. They were quite a showman doing it. Everybody got to know them pretty well. Well, one night we decided, well, let's go out and have a few drink. At that time, we were drinking. This is 20 years ago. And uh, they took us to a bar. We wound up dancing on the bar. And everybody couldn't believe that it was your mother. That's your mother and father up there? 
We yeah, but that was our first rave experience was the San Francisco yep. Underground. Underground rave. Incredible. Yes. So you did tell me as well, right, I believe, that your sons are part of, you have sons that are part of the, the build team, is that right? They build the stages. They work for a company that builds the big stages, like the superstructure out here that came from Europe and is now going to stay in America. It's the superstructure here. We have one boy's a climber. And he's a rigger. He's like a monkey. And he's 40 years old. And he just does it. And the other boy is a uh, carpenter. Uh, yeah, he does all the carpentry work. Electrical work. Uh, he does the floorings and stuff like that. They work together. Yeah. They come up here and live together for, what, four weeks, five weeks. And uh, build the stages. Then they have to tear them down. And they went to Florida and do... So they go all over the country. Are they here now? No. The event? no. When the show starts, they, they leave. They'll come back tomorrow, start turning all down. Did they send you a message today for Father's Day? Oh, yes. All of them called me, yes. All five of them. All five children we have called. Well, I think on behalf of all of the headliners and all the staff and everybody, I'd like to say Happy Father's Day to you because you're like the father and grandfather of EDC. <laughs> I want to give you a wee hug. Thank you. No problem. This is Wide Awake Stories. Broadcasting from the Asomniac HQ. Don't eat the brownies. (laughs) (laughs) That was my takeaway. That was the first thing I wrote too. (laughs) No, I think it's rad that we always talk about with EDC and headliners and everybody that goes to Insomniac events. There's just such this acceptance of whoever you are and whoever you want to be at these festivals and that includes law enforcement and security and older people it's it's great to hear their stories about how people just make friends with them and come back and talk to them it's it's very sweet and it's also touching to hear them talk about how the headliners are really polite and follow the rules because you know a lot of people say a lot of people point out how our festivals even more so than others that there's not really a lot of trouble that goes on so that's really good to hear Nocturnal is our next festival up, Friday, uh, September 15th and Saturday, September 16th at Glen Helen Regional Park. So that'll be a fun one for everyone in SoCal. Come out to that. We'll see you there. If you can't wait for Nocturnal to get a hold of us, you can find us on social media at insomniac.com on Twitter and Facebook using the hashtag WideAwakeStories. You can also always call us up on the Rave Hotline, which is 310-818-9406. We're actually going to play a couple messages from the Wide Awake Hotline that we received. We got a repeat caller now, I guess. Yeah, she <laughs> called in like four times yesterday and left four different messages. We, we picked the best one. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Insomniac team? This is Crystal calling from Los Angeles again. I am calling just to shout out to our culture. We are on our, my best friend, my bestie Bessie and I are on our way to Electric Forest. We landed in Chicago and unfortunately our connecting flight to Michigan got canceled. And there's no other flights for two days basically. But we acquired two other random festival goers, one from Washington and one from Texas. We're all running in the car, sharing our amazing vibes already, and we're going to make our way out to the forest. I just love how we could go out, just find each other and help each other out in time of need. That's really what raising is about. Peace, love, and keep it positive, and we'll see you in the forest. Hey, wait a week. It's me. I just wanted 
to say thank you guys so much for EDC 2017. It went on, it was off the charts, except for except for DJ Kelly. I don't know why you guys put him on there, but everything else was so fucking amazing. It was lit. Excision man, excision just too damn too damn powerful. It turned off it turned off all circuit ground, but he killed it. You're tuned in to Wide Awake Stories. So did you guys have a good four-day weekend, 4th of July? Did you light off fireworks and eat hot dogs and hamburgers? I did. I drank a lot of cheap American beer. It was fantastic. Sam, what did you do? What did you get into over the over the weekend? I got into some nonstop partying, to be honest. <laughs> I'm a little drained. I want to say I'm not going to go out again, but it probably won't That's be the case. That's a promise you'll very soon. I like that he's predicting that already. <laughs> you know, in the spirit of independence and barbecues, John linked up with uh, Claude Von Stroke, head honcho at Dirty Bird, to talk a little bit about that label, that entity, that powerhouse, uh, and, and how they really got to where they are right now. So while you guys were all resting up after EDC, I went to my first ever Electric Forest in Michigan. I met up with Claude Van Stroke, whose Dirty Bird label was hosting the Triple E stage on day one. Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. So it's hard to think of any other label or team that best represents the independent spirit other than Claude Stroke and the Dirty Bird crew. You recently celebrated 10 years of Dirty Bird, so I'm curious what keeps the label alive and thriving more than one decade in. It takes a lot of work to do a record label. The good thing for us is that it, we've expanded outside of just being a record label into being an events company and a clothing company and having a lot of DJs that travel around the world. We did a quick blip as a management company. That wasn't so fun. <laughs> but we're getting into everything that we can get into that makes sense for us, and that's really how we're staying alive. As you mentioned, you've also expanded to doing festivals with the Dirty Bird Campout, and that extends back to your history with the Dirty Bird Barbecues, which are legendary, I'm told. How do these events represent the sound or the spirit of Dirty Bird? Well, originally we had a barbecue before record label that was free. And that went for a few years until it got too big. And the record label, I started that out of that party. I mean, it's separate, but it's still kind of the same thing. It's the same people and all that stuff. One of the main things that happens at Dirty Bird is I sign as many demos as I can sign. So I still do records with people I think are amazing, but I bring through a lot of people, a lot of new names. And if you really looked at who's put out records on Dirty Bird, if you really looked at the list, it's hundreds and hundreds of producers. And a lot of them became really famous. Some of them didn't. Some of them are working DJs. Some of them aren't. But it's a lot of people. And there's a... So because we have such a wealth of talent, we can put on really cool events, especially the camp out because that's the one where I can actually book everyone. Not everyone, I can't book everyone at anything, it's too many people, but we can get close. And then the barbecues are kind of more what you would traditionally expect to see. I try to work in a few names, but it's usually the hardcore like me and Justin Martin and that group. But it's we need events to have like a visibility in the world outside of just the 
Like you can have a record label, but if you can do a party with a record label, it's just like a better party than if you just had a party or you just did a record label. In recent years, Dirty Bird has come to represent a specific style and sound. You know, I've heard the phrase West Coast bass, tech funk, booty house. Uh, regardless of descriptors, there's a very common sound and style that kind of weaves through the Dirty Bird discography and, you know, the Dirty Bird timeline. Is that something that you're searching for when you're doing A&R for the label, or is it all a case-by-case basis? It's all a case-by-case basis, but because it's all done by me, it all sounds like that. It has that vibe. And you know, like, I say this a lot, it's not always popular, but it's always Dirty Bird. We're either super hot or we're d- nobody cares. But if you really listen to the whole catalog, it's pretty consistent. That, to me, sounds like something you can only do being independent. Is that freedom uh, of experimentation important to you and to the label? Yeah, because if you don't have an independent label, then you're not... The factors of signing music are not, is this good music? The factors of signing music are, is this going to sell? So once you get into, is this going to sell? It's not fun anymore, in my opinion. I'm not going to say I don't care if they sell, because that would be naive, but I don't care if they sell. (laughs) (laughs) I've also heard from fans and from artists on your roster that Dirty Bird, the Dirty Bird sound never takes itself too seriously. And I'm doing air quotes around that for the people in Radioland who can't see me. Uh, would you agree with that statement? I would to a certain extent. We make jokes, but we're not a joke label is kind of like my phrase. We like to joke around and be fun, but we're really serious about producing songs. Even if the songs have something kind of funny in them, It's not like we're stupid people making bad music. Like the songs are really thought out and like we care and we're professional and we try to make the best possible music. We're not a novelty label, let's put it that way, but we do have fun. There's quite a strong family feel within the Dirty Bird community in your label. That community feel expands to your label and to your dedicated fans. Uh, Let's take Justin Martin, for example, who was the first Dirty Bird release over a decade ago and who today continues with the label. To what do you attribute this family community feeling? Well, first of all, Justin's probably the best producer, so it's really easy to sign all of his music. He always has been. Justin is a perfect example of... So we don't have a contract with anyone. We will do a contract per song, but you just either want to send us music or you don't want to send us music. I never wanted anybody to be like, you have to send us music now. So just the fact that Justin keeps releasing music is just like a testament to the community that we have. And his contribution is really high. Like he spreads the word, he's part of it. And I think that people really feel like they're a part of it. And so it's just something that's happened. Justin in particular, it's different than a newer person. Justin was there on like the first day. But that's like a whole other thing. There's like a few of us that were there the first minute that it's like a whole other awesome little thing. But even newer people that release like... Weiss just sent like we signed a couple Weiss records and I can already tell that he's totally into it and he's loving it and having fun and I think we'll get more records from him you know like people just kind of gravitate to being in the family even though they don't have to be they just do they just want to be We've also seen your fan base just grow bigger and bigger and way, way more dedicated, especially in the last five years, I'd say. 
What's the secret to connecting with fans on such a level in today's fickle music industry? The way to connect with fans is just act like they're everyone else in the world. <laughs> just Come like you, they have a common interest with you, and they're they're just like you, and they just are hanging out at listening to the same music as you and they're just regular people that's all we ever did we just hang out with them the fans are just like us i mean yeah we can't talk to every fan in person one by one but i still feel like it's important to connect with everyone that i can connect with i feel that because i've been told that a lot of the artists at the camp are just hanging out throughout the campgrounds and you're they're participating in the the daytime events and hanging out being one with the fans and you don't really see that in most major festivals well the point of our festival is that the artists they stay behind the stage while they're DJing and maybe while they're watching a couple of their friends DJ, but for the most part, they're just out in the festival because we have games for everyone to play and comedians for them to watch and whatever they're, they're doing. And yeah, they're in the back some, but like at this festival, I'll probably be back here the whole day. At our festival, I'd probably be back here for 90 minutes. <laughs> I'd just be out in the festival. But I'm in a different spot because it's my festival. <laughs> but anyway, like I think that a lot of people do that. They just hang. There's no real barrier. So you can just chill and talk to your, your artists that you, that you like. And it's not a big deal. There's not that many people. It's not like 75,000 people either. It's probably like 7,000 people. So it's not like an impossible number to deal with. Like an artist can walk through a festival and manage it. So it's fun. You could theoretically speak to everyone at that festival, maybe. Theoret I've actually tried to speak to everyone. It is it's pretty impossible. <laughs> but you tried at least. You tried at least. Uh, so in addition to running the label and doing all the NR for Dirty Bird, you've also been keeping busy as a solo artist. You have your weekly Birdhouse radio show, and you recently released your self-titled debut as Barclay Crenshaw, which is your birth name. So why is now the time for Barclay Crenshaw? That's what my wife says. What? <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like I always wanted to get into hip-hop, and I was really inspired a few years ago, similarly to when I first started making music when I listened to drum and bass. I didn't know drum and bass existed. I had just taken a break, and I came in and I said, oh my God, what is this stuff? And I tried to make drum and bass and blah, 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 blah. Eventually, I ended up in house. But there was this other thing going on in hip-hop that I really wasn't aware of until maybe like five years ago and I saw the gas lamp killer and some guys from Low End Theory and I was like, what the fuck are they playing? I don't know any of these songs. It's not really, it's not straight up hip hop either. And so I just got fascinated with that stuff, but I didn't do anything about it. And then I said, I'm just gonna go do my version of that other thing. And I just said, fuck it, I'm just gonna do it. So I did it, that's it. And somehow my booking agents are geniuses and they turned it into a real thing. So now I'm doing both and I'm paying price. No, it's good, it's fantastic. The reason I, that I talked about my wife right when you said that is because I thought it would take 1.5 times the work because they're both me, but it's like 2.5. It's more than double doing two things. And I do three things because I do Get Real with Green Velvet. So we're doing three acts. It's bananas. And we and the label and everything. 
Are there things that you can do as Barclay Crenshaw that you can't do as Claude Van Stroke or vice versa? Absolutely. I mean, we even have some unspoken guidelines, but yes, Barclay Crenshaw wears like certain type of clothes and does like a very specific performance with really crazy visuals and really hip hop futuristic centric. And Claude Von Stroke is like a house techno guy with a little bit more sense of humor, not so hard. It's kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but there's definitely similarities. It's both me. You're not out there with a mask or anything. (laughs) Here's a big question for you. You've remained independent for over a decade now. The label and roster continues to grow, as do your events, as do all your artists. Are there any plans on joining a major label like many of your other fellow indies have in the past? The answer to that is definitely no, because of what I was saying before. It's not really necessary for us. We already, all we do is like talk to our fans directly and we feel like we've made that pipeline and we get new fans, but we've like created that connection. I really don't want to be in a scenario where they're like, oh, your singles only did 22,000 downloads last year, whatever the number, I don't even know if that's a number, but (laughs) you need to get it up to, Da, 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 da. or we're gonna have to drop you i mean what's the point we've done some like weird deals where we're kind of managed and it never really works and what's the point it's not like we're selling cds or everything's just on spotify <laughs> it's like i don't know do you really need it as long as people know you who you are i think uh we'll stay independent we'll, as long as we have like a brand name so what does independence mean to dirty bird and is it important for the success of the label. Independence for Dirty Bird means, for better or worse, I'm making the decisions, which is kind of, it pisses people off, it causes fights, it, whatever. Like there's always some, some kind of drama going on, but in the end, at least someone who really cares is making decisions. Because I really care, I think that's what is maybe the difference between us and some other project. What new artists on your roster are pushing the, the Dirty Bird sound forward? The new artists that I think are gonna break through are these guys, Walker and Royce. They have an album coming out in October. Their single's coming out at the end of July. They're super, super talented, and I'm really excited for them. I think they're gonna break through. They're awesome. What's next for Dirty Bird in the near future? Next on Dirty Bird, I have a record coming out where I did a rare thing and I did some records with some of our guys. I did one record with Will Clark and one with Sebastian V. And that is coming out in August. And then, of course, the camp out is coming up. And year three, better than ever, it's going to be a new venue that is got a lot more space and a little bit more uh, better camping and a little bit uh, you could spread out a little bit more. And we have literally, I think it's more than twice the amount of artists playing. And we have two stages instead of one stage. I'm really excited. I think it's going to be amazing. And it's kind of the same distance between San Fran and LA instead of just right next to LA. So it kind of splits the difference. And uh, so NorCal, SoCal can both drive a couple hours and get there and it'll be great. Let's talk about the future. Where does Dirty Bird go from here? I think in the next five years, we're going to really expand our clothing. It's going really well, and we're getting really deep into that kind of stuff. And I think our events are going to 
Well, I already know our events are going to expand. I just can't talk about it yet. <laughs> I think that we're going to have a lot of new music and new artists that people are really going to be into. And I'm going to just keep pushing, like breaking new people. Also respecting the old crew and like hoping that, that they come through some good music too. And just keeping it, somehow keeping it all together. Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. Claude is a funny dude, man. He's funny. Yeah. He was tired, but he was super funny. Yeah. He was on the golf cart once, and, and he surprised me then. And He was on one of the first episodes of Golf Cart Confessions, wasn't he? He was, and he was talking about Japanese toilets, and he confused the hell out of Katie. She didn't understand what, what he was talking about, like pushing buttons. Yeah, for all of you who, who haven't seen it, uh, we had a series uh, at Insomnia called Golf Cart Confessions, where Rob over here, who is the, the designated driver, and a couple DJs would hop on the back. We had the chain smokers, we had Nicole Mudaber, Claude Von Stroke, a, a whole host of DJs. You can find those episodes on the Insomniac Events YouTube channel and check those out. Those are a lot of fun to do. Can we please bring that back? We should bring it yeah. back. Yeah, you heard it here first. We're, we're, we're bringing it back for 2017. Well, the rest 18. of 2017. <laughs> you know what I was really curious about, though? If he really did, in fact, try to talk to everyone at a festival. Because I could I, Yeah, I think so. I believed it, but I was like, oh, is he bullshitting me? Like, no. I could totally see him doing yeah. that, though, right? I mean, I think that's the fun part about the Dirty Bird campout is that you will be eating a hot dog and standing next to you is Claude Van Stroke himself. Just Dirty Bird is the word, man. Yeah. I've never been to one of their uh, their Yeah, barbecues. I haven't either, but I've thrown my own barbecues yeah. but they're much less fun <laughs> much less booty house much less booty house <laughs> summer and barbecues just hand in hand right especially yeah. here in california barbecues cold beer good music monica what signifies the summer to you what's your ultimate sort of summer picture um like a sexy fling <laughs> oh well, yeah yes summer fling some rosé <laughs> You know, rooftop drinking, patio parties. Living in New York really makes you appreciate when the weather's nice enough to be outdoors. And people here are obsessed with patios and rooftops. Right. Yeah. So that's really what it's all about. I like beaches. <laughs> John, you like the beach? I like the beach, yeah. I'm permanently tan because I'm a brown Mexican, but there's <laughs> up my sleeve, it's just white paleness. So I like to even <laughs> out over the summer. Sun's out, guns out. Sun's out, guns out, baby. <laughs> Sam, I'm looking to you, our in-house music guru. What what songs remind you of summer? Normally there's a formula for like a summer song. They're usually bright and bubbly and just very uh, spry and uplifting. But for some reason, my definitive summer track is kind of a slow tempo uh, track by the name of Time by Pachanga Boys. And it's, it's completely unexpected, but something about the loose, carefree nature of the track that just really reminds me of the endless summer vibe. We linked up with a few of our favorite artists and had them break down what makes a perfect summer song to them. We spoke with Jaws, Gigantor, Flux Pavilion, Boombox Cartel, Getter, and Dylan. And they all had pretty unique takes on, on what a summer song is. Some of their answers may surprise you. <laughs> Wide Awake Stories from Insomniac. My name is Jaws. I'm 24, I think. Am I 24? No, I'm, I'm turning 24 soon. I'm 23, I'm from San Francisco, and I make electronic music. There is definitely like a, a vibe that certain songs put off that would really make it feel summery. Like bright and happy, energetic, 
I mean, I, I don't think that anyone would probably call a summer song something like really brooding and dark and sad. I don't think it would make sense. It just doesn't fit. Like, I think a great example, this wouldn't be my song of the summer. I have, I have a different one. <laughs> Don Diablo song that was just playing when we walked in here. I can't remember what it's called, but it has this like really catchy, happy vocal and the chords are like really bright and poppy. It sounds like something that you would hear at a pool or on the beach or something, you know? So that would definitely be the qualifications for me of, of a summer song. If I had to pick, which there are a lot, but one that kind of like brings me back, it's a song called Feeling Alright by a band called Revolution. They're like a reggae ska band. Um, I grew up in Northern California, like right outside of San Francisco. And so all kids where I grew up really listened to was like Bay Area rap and reggae. So Revolution was like one of the biggest bands at my high school. That song specifically is like, I feel like every single time I stepped into either my car or one of my friend's cars, you know, we were leaving for the weekend after school or like summer had just broken, like that was the song that came on, you know? And it just like put you in that like, okay, we're done. We get to go hang out and do nothing and, and party and like chill and not think about high school and stupid shit like that. It put us in like a really good mood. It probably brings me back to my first car which was, uh, it was my grandma's uh, rest her soul. She passed away and that's how I got the car. Uh, but it was like a 92 Mercedes something, which sounds a lot nicer and cooler than it was. It had like 250 to 260,000 miles on it when I got it. So it was, you know, it was ready for the trash pile, but you know, breathed a little bit of life into it and you know it was my first car i was i was stoked didn't have a very good sound system but i i tried my best to make it work the cool thing about stuff that isn't electronic music like reggae or ska is that there's not a ton of low end it's not you know so necessary that you have a crazy sound system so that stuff actually sounded pretty good um when you would play it in the car so i feel like i played a lot of it in there feeling good feeling all right Hey, it's Gigantor from Evil Intent. As far as tracks go, this is going to be a little bit of a weird one, but the summer vibe for me was always in the NetSky VIP remix of Every Day. It goes actually drum and bass instead of halftime, and I always felt like with the way it builds up and everything, it always kind of had a summer vibe to me. Wide awake stories from Insomniac. Run the track! 
I am Flex Pavilion. Bonjour. What do you love about summertime? Interestingly, I'm not a big summer guy. Um, I'm a winter, a winter cat. For me, snow and a crisp blue sky and like a winter's day. That's like, I think it's probably the British in me that has kind of given up my connection to summer because we don't get that much of it. The summertime for me is kind of, um, it's always kind of hectic. What's interesting about touring as a DJ, you can tour so quickly. It's just you, headphones and your music. You can really chase summer. So I kind of sometimes get summers all year long where I don't like, don't, that's kind of why I like winter, I think, because to me it feels novel. Because as soon as summer's ending here, it starts somewhere else and then it starts somewhere else. So it's kind of like, since I've been touring, it's been one long summer. So I'd say if there is a summer that has been great, then yeah, the summer of the past six or seven years has been a pretty awesome one for me. In your opinion, what makes the perfect summer song? A uh, summer song to me is a track that kind of transcends like those tracks that really branch across every single genre and trend and just connect with people from across the world and yeah lots of different walks of life a summer like a summer classic i think is one that everyone just connects with and embraces and sort of just takes on and it means something to them for me when i was thinking about what summer song i would choose it got me thinking about touring the flostradamus remix of original don by major laser sort of came to mind trap has obviously existed for many years in many sort of different formats but this kind of like really dance floor style of trap it's the first time i'd ever heard anything like it and everyone from tiesto to me to noisier like everyone was playing that record and it's like you couldn't go anywhere without hearing it and it felt like completely brand new and it just makes me think of all those festivals and yeah that summer where original don was absolutely everywhere it feels feels good the first time I ever heard that track was actually Kill the Noise playing it in Finland and I remember he was on and I'd walked like round the back of the stage. Kill the Noise is always one of those guys that he's always ahead, ahead of the times with tracks. I always hear his sets and think, what was that track? And that was, I'm standing behind him and he played that and I was like, I've never really heard anything like this before. What is this? And then as soon as I found out, there we go, it's in my was in my set for the next two years basically. And everyone else's, I think. My name is Americo from Boombox Cartel. The formula to a summer song, I would say, is just the feel-good button. A lot of like old-school classic synths make a good summer song. High-pitched vocals, big reverbs if you want to get technical, some old-school drums. That's, that's in, in my book. It, it's just something that makes you feel good. It's something that brings back good memories. It, it might be different for everyone, but 
My favorite summer song of all time would be Kids by MGMT. It's just so happy. It's just the feel-good happiness. And also, it's super important, the, the place and time of your life. Like, it's the addition of experiences, people you're with, what's going on throughout your life, and then, like, the smells, everything. It, it, it all just comes together, the one song. And whenever that one song plays, it, it takes you back to all of that. Kids by MGMT takes me back to recording guitars with low budget equipment and just trying to make music with friends. That song reminds me of the early, early me getting into the music side of everything. So it's just like when that's playing, I see myself with all my middle school, high school friends trying to record all these sounds into this laptop and, and kind of just like garage band stuff, band practice, blowing up your eardrums in some by some drum set and very, very bad sounding amps and just like early grungy music. Well, when I first heard this song, this was when I was starting off with just garage bands with me and my friends. Yeah, it was always that song like, yo, let's do something like this. Or like, this is so good. Like, And it was July. This was 115 degrees, Monterey, Mexico. And then just everyone, you know, guitarist brings his guitar. I would carry my drums everywhere and going to all these uh, talent shows because of school and then you would cover that song and it just brings back, you know, so good memories. Wide Awake listeners, this is your boy, uh, Gatter, that's my name. I've almost forgot it for a second. What I love about summer is that there's no school for anyone. You can do whatever you want. Uh, I mean, to an extent, you can't like rob a bank, but like there's a billion ways to refresh because there's not a lot of ways to refresh when it's cold, right? You just kind of put on a hoodie. But in summer, you could pee on each other. You could go swimming. You could play super soakers, eat ices, you know, plenty of stuff to cool down. What does the song need to embrace for it to be a summer song for you? A summer song for me needs to have a few things. It needs to have continuity. I need to be able to listen to the song from start to finish. I need to be able to want to repeat the song, something I can listen to on loop, 
something that everyone will be like, yo, what is this? It's a good song. No, no trendy songs is basically what I'm saying. I like the ones that stick. Like your pants after you eat a burger. It gets sticky. So new, old, any genre, what's your one kind of quintessential summer song? My favorite song for summer, it's stuck between um, The District Sleeps Alone Tonight by Postal Service or Infinite by Eminem because they're both, they take you on a journey both lyrically and melodically. And, uh, you know, you could rock your head to it, you could bang your head to it, you could sleep to it, you could bone to it. There's a lot of stuff. You could drink a Sobe, you could drink a water bottle. Yeah, Infinite by Eminem is the best hip-hop song of all time. I don't think this song brings me back to summer specifically, but it's just like the only song, because I have two because I can't pick one, but it's really the only song that I've listened to and never gotten bored of. The whole Infinite album by Eminem from the 90s, I think it was 97, something like that, 94 maybe. That album, the whole thing front to back, but Infinite, the song specifically. It's just never gets old. It's my fave. And then District Sleeps Alone Tonight is just a childhood favorite, you know? District Sleeps Alone Tonight I heard in my dad's car on the way back from a music festival when I was like 13. When I was younger, he was driving us home and he played, he didn't play it, it was on the radio, back when the radio played stuff like that, like Postal Service. Dylan Francis, what is your ultimate summer anthem, regardless of genre? What's ass, the one? Titties, ass and titties, ass, ass, titties, titties, ass and titties. That one, that's my summer anthem right now. What, wasn't that uh, Family Guy? No, uh, I thought there was a guy who Giorgio Moroder. <laughs> Giorgio Moroder. I thought, he it, I, I thought it. it was Wagner actually. Was oh, Wagner. I think Beethoven did a remix of that too. Ass and titties. That's a good one. Is, is that really though the the, the 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 song that signifies the summer to you is ass and titties? I know. I, I I was just. I don't know why, but I, I think it was like two days ago. Did Jeff and the Fresh Prince? No, nothing. No. I just two days ago I was like, man, I need to bring that song back. So I'm gonna play that at EDC on the main stage. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Or actually after. Well, you're going to hear it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Wide Awake Stories. 
what Flux Pavilion said about DJs chasing summer all year long and how he was a winter yeah, guy. Like, yeah, I never thought about that, but it's totally true. Yeah, because they're touring around the world and summer comes in one country, leaves, and they're in summer again in a different country. It's a pretty insane schedule. And to be perfectly honest, I'm a winter guy too, man. Like, yeah, I, I love being cold more than I love I like being bundling. <laughs> Monica, have you become a winter gal out there? Oh my god, I've got all the gear. <laughs> I got the pea coat, I got the full down coat. And as someone, wait, I was about to say something that's inappropriate. I'll say it anyway. You, someone said to me, you know you're a New York, real New Yorker when you're having to strip off long johns when you bring someone over. Gloves, it's true. jackets, gloves, and jackets. Gloves, gloves, jackets, jackets, gloves, and jackets. I really enjoyed what Americo from Boombox Cartel said about specific songs taking you to specific memories or times in your moment. And for me, my summer memories in high school tie back to The Strokes' debut album, Is This It? Whenever I hear that album, I think back to those days when we would steal our mom's cars and go to the beach at midnight. Dang. Cholo style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was that way with Siamese, uh, with actually Gish by the Smashing Pumpkins. That that album really kind of takes me back to, uh, to summertime, the first Smashing Pumpkins album. I don't know if I have one summer tune, but John, you just reminded me one of my best and worst summer memories was the time that I stole my mom's car. We went to the beach. We lived in an apartment complex, right? So all the cars had like assigned parking spots. <laughs> so we get back and it's like four in the morning on Sunday morning and there was no parking left. Like somebody actually parked in our parking spot. So I couldn't do anything. Like I've done, I've stole the car many times before in the past <laughs> and you just roll up and push it back into the parking spot and crawl through the window. But that... Yeah, I got so, so busted. I just had to leave it parked right out, like blocking the other car. Monica, Sam, have you, either of you stolen the family car? <laughs> I would never do that. Sam, did you ever steal a car? Steal the family car? Ah, uh, yes, 100%. Oh, am I the only dude who hasn't <laughs> stolen a car? Goody two shoes. It's got to be on my list for this summer. I steal someone's car in my neighborhood. And take it for what are you drive. doing this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll roll with you. For many of you, summer is the season for music festivals so if you're heading out to any big festivals this summer hit us up on facebook and twitter at insomniac.com hashtag wide awake stories or give us a call on the rave hotline yeah let us know your summer tips uh what shows you're going to who you're excited to see that number is 310-818-9406 and make sure to catch us next month it'll be our august episode episode 11 uh it will be our second summer continuation episode actually we live in la so really it's, it's yeah, you know it's we got summer, summer episodes here. through november yeah. <laughs> and for everyone on the east coast sorry sorry <laughs> see you guys next month <laughs>